4, as we continue on uh, through this letter that Peter has written by the leading of the Holy Spirit to not only the original readers, but to us as well. This has been a challenging letter for us. It's been a challenging letter as Peter has talked about two things as he's addressing two issues. First, he's addressing suffering, and that's something that none of us really like to think about, something we don't really like to to really talk about, and yet we see it in our lives, right? Sometimes it's because of a natural disaster, sometimes it's just seemingly because of chance, sometimes it's for other reasons, sometimes it's at the hands of other people. And Peter has also been talking about holiness and how we're to live as a holy people, as a people that are set apart and different. And he's been making comparisons to the church and and believers in the New Testament and Israel of the Old Testament, how God has made us a people, has pulled us out from the world and, and made us in many ways exiles, made us aliens to this place, knowing that we have a future and better home but that because of that, we're to act differently. And so he's been walking us through. What does that look like? And we've talked about last couple of weeks about how it means that we submit differently than the world might submit, even though that's a difficult thing for us as rebellious people, uh, difficult for us as fleshly human beings to want to do that. And yet, where possible, we're called to do that. Certainly, Peter understands as well as anyone that there are times when the Lord calls us to things and the authorities that are in place would try to prevent us from doing that and following the Lord and in those instances we have to respectfully disagree and and choose not to honor that authority but where we're possible we we do differently we we respond differently to authority in every part of our life last week we looked at the difference in how we're to respond in suffering, especially suffering at the hands of another individual. If you've been following the news this week, I, I just we got done with that sermon on Sunday and I was still pondering it throughout the week. And if you've been following the news, you saw an example of that. Uh, there was a, a young lady that was on trial. She had shot a man. Um, it, complicated circumstances that we're not going to go into, but she had shot a man. She was convicted of murder and the brother, the younger brother of this gentleman is on, is on the witness stand and he looks at this lady and he says, I want what's best for you. I want to forgive you. And I pray that you'll know Christ. The world doesn't get that. The world went bananas. If you followed the, the coverage of that afterwards, there were some people who looked at that and said, I don't get that. I don't understand how he's able to do that. But man, I want to be able to do that. I, I believe that's a good thing for us to do. But they didn't understand it. But they begin to ask questions, right? They begin to ask, how can we do that? And this young man in his statement had told, it's, it's Christ. It's Christ that allows us to do that. On the other hand, there were parts of the world that, man, they went bananas in the other direction. And they were like, I can't believe he did that. He just turned his back on his family. He turned his back on, on the culture. He turned his back on everything. And, he was, and they, just, they were enraged by his forgiveness. Because this doesn't make sense to the world. 
It doesn't make sense. And this is why Peter has been calling us, why Peter has been urging us, look different. Because if you look the same, the world will never have those discussions. They will never ask, how can you forgive that way? They will never ask, how can you treat someone who has caused such suffering in your life? How can you treat them with respect? How can you honor them? How can you forgive them? How can you, how can you respect, how can you submit to a, a boss that has been so horrible to you that, that constantly is throwing you under the bus at work? How can you do that? If we don't look different, if we look like the world, they're never going to ask those questions. And we're never going to have the opportunity to say, it's because of Christ. It's because of Christ. It's not easy. Peter never says this is easy. In fact, he says it's what? It's suffering. It's hard. And we do it by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. We do it by his grace and we do it because of his example as he ended chapter 3 with. This morning, Peter continues on in, his le- in this letter, and he kind of wraps up this section in a little bit. He, he wraps up this practical living section that we've looked at about submission and, and how that makes us holy and, and suffering and how we respond to it and how that is a, is a way of holy living. And this morning, he kind of sums it all up. A little bit here in chapter 4. The beginning of chapter 4. It's the end of the first part of the book. And he'll address some things in the second half. But, but this is kind of a concluding point. And so this morning we're going to take a look at that together. So if you would, if you're able, would you please stand with me that we may honor God's word. We're looking again at 1 Peter chapter 4 starting in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we we admit that we are human. 
And I know that that sounds so obvious, but Lord, sometimes we, we think that we're more than that and we, we take on more than what we can. Forgetting, Lord, that it is upon your grace and upon your strength that we lean for so many things. Forgetting that you are the provider of life. That you are the provider of salvation. And Lord, that as you seek to change us to look more like Christ, Lord, that you are the potter. Lord, we are just simply the clay. Father, I pray that we would put our trust in you. Our trust, Lord, that the things that come into our life, though sometimes they may be difficult, that they are for your glory, Lord, that they are so that we might shed this flesh, Lord, that we may be able to shed away and to remove the things that might distract us, that we may focus on what is important. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, that your word would be clear to us. Lord, that your desires for us would be clear this morning. Lord, that we would go out of this place having new desires and new passions and new focus. Lord, for your glory and for your name's sake. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Peter uses a really interesting phrase here. He says, the time for the time that has passed will suffice. Says it there in verse 3. For the time that is past suffices. As I was have been preparing this sermon this week and have been praying over this passage, that that phrase just keeps ringing back the time that has passed suffices put that behind you or as some of our parents sometimes like to say the time for having fun your time for having fun is over now that's not to say that we as believers don't enjoy a great life I mean certainly some of my greatest and deepest friends are are believers and and I, I have had great times. We have lots of laughter together. We, we have incredible amounts of joy together. And, and we have lots of fun. But the time for silly things, the time for foolishness on things that don't matter, Peter says the time for that is done because we have a mission. We have a mission here. We, we don't have time to dilly-dally around. He says the time... That has passed suffices for those things. Whether you were saved as a young child. Or you were saved as a mature adult. The time that came before that. That sufficed for chasing after things that the world chases after. Now we chase after something new. And he talks about this. Starting with Christ. As is not surprising in our study of Peter. He goes back to Jesus Christ. In verse 1, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The same way of thinking. Peter, in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, had just finished talking about how Christ was this great example of how we suffer for the sake of others. 
how Christ being righteous laid down his life and sacrificed his life and went through unbearable suffering for us the unrighteous that we may know God. He says, because Christ suffered in that way, because we have this great example, let us think the same way. Let us understand suffering in the same way. That suffering strips away our desires. It's interesting here, in the, at, towards the end of that verse, verse 1 it says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin, ceased from sin. This is not to say that when, if you go through suffering that you're not going to sin anymore as long as you're alive. Certainly we understand and we see in 1 John that, that we continue to sin, right? After we're saved, we're still in this flesh. There's times that we're still going to make mistakes. But what Peter is saying here is that we begin to have all of the extra trimmed away, all the stuff that would take our, our thought process, that would distract us from the things of Christ. All those things are, are slowly removed from us through suffering. He says, let us think about suffering differently in that what it produces. Paul says something similar, but Paul is focused on what it produces more than Peter. Peter, throughout his book, he's speaking about trials, and he's speaking about trouble, and he's speaking about suffering. So he's focusing on the fact that suffering produces something in us, and that suffering is, in the end, it's something that God uses for our good. Though we may not understand that in the moment, Paul, Paul opens this up a little bit more. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3 is speaking to the church in Philippia, and he is talking to them about how before Christ, he had all of this honor, he had all of this respect, he was a person of great authority. He, he had all of the things that the world would have said were good. And yet he says this, in, starting in verse 8 of chapter 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul focuses on the outcome of this. Paul says, look, I've had all of the honor. I've had all of the respect. I've had the positions of authority. I've had all that the world would say is good. And yet, because of following Christ, I have lost it all. I have lost it all. You think about Paul's life, and after Christ, he goes from being the persecutor to the persecuted. You think about the place that he held in the culture, that he was respected by those in power, that he had authority of his own, and yet he finds himself at times running from town to town now, fleeing the authority. He had all that was good, but he focused on Christ and he, and he chose Christ 
And because of it, he suffered the loss of everything. And yet he says, it is worth it. It is worth it. This is the mind of Christ that Peter is talking about. Christ did not value authority. He did not place value on reputation. He did not place value on the physical things of this earth. But rather, he valued knowing God. As the Son knows the Father. This is the heart, this is the mind of Christ. That suffering in this flesh is secondary. That it is nothing compared to the result. Peter calls us to the same way of thinking. As we think about suffering, whether it's at the hands of another or whether it's through other circumstances, how are you going to approach it? We talked last week that when we suffer at the hands of others, we should approach it in terms of forgiveness, that we should approach it in terms of blessing those who have harmed us. But now Peter turns his attention, how are you going to approach it in terms of just it happening? Because it's really easy for us to have that happen to us, and then we begin to have a pity party, right? And we begin to say, woe is me, and oh, I've lost this, and oh, I've lost this, and oh, everything's been taken from me, and what am I going to do now? And Peter says, are you going to be that way? Are you going to look at all this stuff from a worldly point of view and just I want to gather in as much as I can or are you going to look at it and say it is all worth losing if I gain Christ Jesus tells us what what is it gain a man he gains the whole world but he loses his life this is the way of thinking of Christ this is the mind of Christ that we look at the things around us and we say, yeah, I have, I have a great job. I, I have a, a great home. I have respect. I have a good reputation. I have authority in some places. But I, I hold that in an open palm. Lord, do with it as you will. Do with it as you will. Paul says, I will lose it all if it means knowing the resurrection. If it means knowing God, if it means knowing the, the home that is yet to come, if it means having the assurance of eternal life, then that's worth it. It's a difficult thing. It hasn't gotten any easier, this holy living thing that he has called us to. Leanna sang a great song this morning about if I ask for what I want, give me what I need. I heard a quote this week. Sometimes asking that the will of God be done in your life means asking that your will be undone. It's a hard thing to think about. But we pursue Christ with everything knowing that it's worth it. Peter goes on here. He says, as you are transformed, as you begin to think like Christ, as, you're, as you begin to take on that thought process where knowing God is worth losing the rest of it, where knowing God is more valuable to you than anything else, then put behind you the world. This is what he talks about when he says that the time that has passed suffices. He says, if you started thinking like the world, stop, or started thinking like Christ, stop looking like the world. 
He says, for the time of the past that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he gives us a list of things. Sensuality and orgies and drunkenness and all this other stuff. He says, stop looking like that. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. You have a new mind with new passions and new desires. So stop, stop doing all of those things that the world does. But if you're like me, you read this list, and so often as human beings, we're very legalistic, and we look at this list, and you're like, okay. It says, stop doing what the Gentiles doing, so living in sensuality, okay. Um, I think I can pass myself on that. Stop living in the passions, okay. I think I can pass myself on that. Stop with drunkenness, okay. I can pass myself on that. Orgies, not even really entirely sure what those are, so I can pass myself on that. Drinking parties, I can guarantee you I haven't done those in a long, long time, so I can pass myself on that. And we think, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, there's a history in Brian's testimony, okay. Don't judge. But we look at that list, right, and we say, Pass, 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 pass. I'm good. But then we get to that last one, idolatry. And you may be going, well, Brian, I don't have a little, I don't have a little idol set up in my, my living room. I don't have a, a little statue that I've carved out of wood or stone and I've put candles around it and I take a goat and I sacrifice it every day. I don't do that. Idols are anything that we place before God. Idols are anything that we serve before we serve him. And my guess is, if you're like me, that we could look at your life and we would not have to look very long and we would see the idols of your life. We would see the idols of your life. Maybe your idol is your job. That you are defined by what you do as an occupation. That's how you would define yourself. Maybe it's your family. Everything goes into them. And as we've said before, trust me when I say that if you put Christ before your family, that he loves your family more than you do. But sometimes we put our family before and we let our family dictate how we're going to live life. We let our family be what defines us as a human being. Maybe it's respect, maybe it's authority, maybe it's food. Maybe it's exercise going on the other end of it. But my guess is that we could probably identify it pretty quick. Peter says, put it all behind you. Anything that is not Christ. Don't look like the world. Look different. Why do we do this? Why do we put on the mind of Christ knowing, knowing that it, it's going to mean reprioritizing everything? Why do we stop looking like the world when the world looks like sometimes it has a lot of fun? Why do we do this to ourselves when we know, as Peter says, they're going to malign you? There are going to be those that look at you and they're going to say, why are you living that way? There are going to be those that look at you and say, oh, you think you're better than us now. You're not running with us anymore, huh? Okay, see how it is. There are going to be those that drag your name through the mud. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why would we consent to this? 
We do it that we might live. Peter says, don't worry about them. Don't worry about the world. Verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He says, you don't worry about them. You don't worry about the world and what they're going to say when you choose to live this way. You don't worry about the world when you choose to be different. You don't worry about the world when you choose to forgive when the world does, says don't forgive. You don't worry about the world when you choose to open your home up when the world says that should be your sanctuary and your fortress. You don't worry about the, what the world says when you choose to take a job because that's where ministry is rather than taking a job because that's where the resources are. You don't worry about the world. God's going to take care of the world. He says, you worry about life. There in verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. What he's saying there is this is why the gospel has always been preached. The people that are dead there are Christians that have gone on before us. They're those that put their faith and trust in Christ and now have passed away. He says this is why the gospel was preached to them. Because all of us are going to lose this flesh, right? We're all going to experience death unless we experience the coming of Christ first. All of us are going to lose this. He says all people are judged but those that have heard the gospel, those who have taken on the mind of Christ, those who have pursued him, they will live like God, the way he does for all eternity in all glory. Yes, we suffer for this moment, but we do it that we might live. Peter says, don't worry about the world. Don't worry about those who would persecute you. Don't worry about the suffering the suffering is there that it might strip away the exterior and expose the heart. The suffering is there that it may cut away those things that should not be there so that you can concentrate on what should. I don't know about you, but we've all had those things in life, right? That they get taken away from us. They get stripped away from us. And at the time, it is incredibly painful. At the time, it is, is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. And then we realize, man, that was better. I don't miss it. And it's given me time to do this and this and this. Maybe it was for the best that that was taken away. Maybe it was for the best that the Lord removed that. Christ wants to give you life. And so, yes, we go through suffering. Yes, we put on the mind of Christ, forsaking the things of the world. Yes, we, we desire to stop looking like the world, that we may look differently in their midst, so that because we might live, we do it so that we might live. But that doesn't prevent us from living now. It doesn't prevent us, it shouldn't prevent us, it shouldn't lead us to preventing now. This was actually the problem of the Thessalonians. If you go back and look at the letters that Paul writes to them, what was happening was they were saying, look, this life is, is temporary, this life is short-lived, and Christ is coming again soon, so I'm just going to stop doing everything. I'm just going to wait. Like, they literally would just park out somewhere and just wait on the Lord to do something, and they expected others to give them food occasionally, and they, they were just lazy bums waiting on the Lord. And Paul says, get up 
Get to work. Start pulling your weight. Start living now in anticipation for living more later. Peter says the same thing. Peter says, look, we've been talking about the hope. We've been talking about the assurance of our salvation. We've been talking about this place of paradise. We've been talking about the inheritance that's to come. And we should be excited about that. And we should get rid of all this other stuff that's weighing us down. But it doesn't mean that we stop living. In verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter says, live now. Prepare yourself now. That you may be ready for the end. This life that we live now, it is a process of sanctification. It is a process of the Lord making us through his grace more like himself. A permanent transformation that needs to take place so that we may be prepared for glorification to come. And so he tells us, live now. He, we do this in different ways. We, we're preparing ourselves by being sober-minded through our prayers. He says there, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Don't be willy-nilly, just running from here to there to there, but rather focus in on what's important. Don't allow life to overcome you. Don't allow busyness to overcome you. Don't allow the concerns of everything else to overcome you, but rather focus in so that your prayers may be effective. Be prepared so that you may be transformed. He says the second thing he tells there, if we're going to live life now in preparation for living life more, he tells us that we should continue to love one another. I heard a great quote this morning. Uh, as I was reading some other things in preparation, it said, we better learn how to love the church now because we're going to be with them for a long, long time. You ever thought about that? Like, we, we better learn how to love each other now because in all eternity, we're going to be with them for a long, long time. This is our family. This is who we expect to live with later. And so we prepare ourselves by loving them now. He says there that love covers a multitude of sin. Oh, how we have seen that in the example of Christ. That Christ so loved us that he gave his life for us. That his love and his blood cover our sins. In the same way, we're called to relate to one another in a similar way. Love one another. People ask me, how can... They, they say, I'm not sure if I know Christ. And, and we have that conversation. And oftentimes we'll walk through 1 John together as he gives the test of the faith. And one of them is, do you love the church? Do you love the church? Do you love the people here? doesn't mean we always like each other. There are times when we grade on one another. There are times when we act like family, right? But we love one another. We desire to be with one another. We desire what's best for the people in this room. We desire what's best for the church as a whole. Do you love the family? If not, then that should be a warning sign. There's something not right. Not only do we love the church, though, not only love the family, we serve the church. It says there in verse 9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, 
use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God does this amazing work that as he brings us into the family, and we've talked about this numerous times, but as he brings us into the family, he gives us identity and he gives us gifts that are to be used in the family. Specific roles that he's tasked us for. God has planted you here for a specific reason. He didn't plant you in another church. He planted you here so that you could serve here. And our gifts are varied. In a world that would like everything to be equal, in a world that would like everything to be the same, it's varied grace. He doesn't give me the same gift as he gives you. He doesn't give Melissa the same gift as he gives me. He doesn't give Melissa the same gift as he gives Gary. He gives us different gifts. Why? So that we'll each have a place to serve. He says, do it to the best of your ability that God may be glorified, that the church may be encouraged. We all have a place here that he has created for us. And as we've said before, if if you're not involved in that, if you're not serving in that area, using that gift, being a good steward of what you've been given, then it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts us as a church. We're not able to accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish with the efficiency that we could if you would be involved. And we do all of this now. We do all of this service. We do the loving. We, we prepare ourselves for the life that's to come. To prepare us for the coming of Christ. Peter doesn't shy away here from suffering. It's easy for us in, in the world that we live on. We, some of us would like to turn our attention away from suffering it's a difficult topic to talk about we don't want to watch the news because the news frankly at times is terrifying we would rather just read facebook about how everybody's lives are perfect and succinct peter doesn't shy away from this suffering thing because it goes all the way back to christ christ set an example Suffering, suffering strips away the world. Suffering changes our mind and it allows us to focus on him. When we hold everything lightly saying, it is all yours, Lord, take it and do with it whatever you will, then it is much easier to understand when things come and things do are taken from us or when suffering does happen, we say, hey, glorify God. Because I know the life that's to come. I know what's around the corner. And I can celebrate that and I can have joy in that. But Peter says you've got to have a mind like Christ in order to do that. In order to, to submit the way he's called us to submit in the previous chapter. In order to suffer and to, to show forgiveness the way he's called us. So you've got to have a mind like Christ. That only comes through salvation. It only comes through further pursuing him. So this morning, maybe you hear about suffering and how it can be a good thing. You hear about submission. You hear about forgiving others. You hear about all this stuff, and you're like, ah, none of that makes sense. None of that makes sense. Then I would invite you. The Lord, the Lord would like to show you what that looks like, starting with forgiving you, forgiving your sins, inviting you into the family of God saving you from the consequences of your sin.
This morning, he can do that in your life if you will ask him. Maybe this morning, you've just gotten caught up in the world and, and you've allowed things to come back into your life and, and you would say, yeah, I have some idols that I need to get rid of. I have some things that I've decided are more important than God and I've been serving them instead of serving him. Then this morning, I would encourage you just to confess that before him. Tell him that. Ask him to remove that, even if it means that it hurts a little bit. Let us desire to have our minds transformed that we may have life. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for everything you've given us. Lord, we thank you for how you love us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that during this time of response, Lord, that you would move in us as a church. Lord, that we would desire to have a mind like yours, that we would desire to have a heart like yours where we see this world and, and there are some great things and there's nothing wrong with, with having a nice house or there's nothing wrong with, with desiring good things, but Lord, when we desire those more than we desire the one that created them, then Lord, it becomes a problem. Father, I pray that, that we would hold those things loosely in our hand and say, Lord, your will be done and not my own. Lord, that we would consider the loss of all things beneficial if it means that we gain the resurrection of Christ. Lord, that we would live in such a way that people would look at us and say, why are they different so that we may show them Christ? We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.